about the message this morning. You know, <laughs> no, I, some of you look like I'm, you know, do you know why the time changed? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why is the sky blue this morning, you know? No, I mean, seriously, if, if you were here and you heard the message and, we, you know, I tried to talk with you, you know, about don't be Simon and all of that. Did you have any questions about any of that, anything you'd like to me to elaborate on? That doesn't mean I can. It just means, you know, is there anything? Yes, sir. Uh, I see that hand, the orange sock guy. Yeah. Um, Martin Luther, I think I mentioned this uh, uh, last week, but Martin Luther said that the, the, the first, uh, you know Martin Luther, right? You know, they, they got 95 theses. He nailed on the door of the church at Wittenberg. And these were 99 things about the Catholic church that he uh, didn't agree with. And it, he really wasn't saying, I disagree. He was saying, let's debate these 95 things. And the very first of them was, all of life is repentance. Now, that's a modernized version of what he said. All of life is repentance. And what he was dealing with was the Catholic practice of going in to see a priest on a kind of a regular basis, going in there and confessing, you know, your sins, and then having the, the priest tell you, you know, say, you know, three Hail Marys or, or whatever it was that they would, they would say you do that. And Luther said, uh, number one, that you don't have to go through a priest. That uh, he, he didn't use these words, but he's actually the one that founded the idea of what's called the priesthood of the believer. Which means that we don't have to have, we don't, uh, we can go straight to God because of Jesus. And so uh, what he said, we don't need to go to a priest and repent. And it, when he said all of life is repentance, what he was saying to us is that the Holy Spirit is at work in all disciples of Jesus, helping you to see what needs to be changed in your life. The Apostle Paul would talk about uh, put off something and put on something. And whenever he said put off, he would be talking about something in your life that doesn't need to be there and to replace it with something that does. And so uh, in the context of, of your question there, Jason, it's, it's like whenever, whenever the, the Holy Spirit will begin... Well, he won't begin to. The Holy Spirit will actually, at times, remind you that you are moving in the direction of Simon. That, that you're, you're, you're kind of beginning to see people. You can catch yourself uh, when, when you start um, uh, commenting to friends or something about somebody that's, you know, that's, uh, for example, oh, they deserve that. You know, or, or that's, you know, yeah, he should get that, or, or those kind of things. That what, when we recognize that what that's showing us is that we're beginning to move towards Simon. And, and what I do, and all I can tell you is my own personal practice, whenever the Holy Spirit convicts me of some sin, either through reading of the Scripture or, or through a direct conviction kind of a thing, then uh, my prayer is to say, uh, Lord, I agree. Now, the reason I say I agree is because the word confess doesn't mean admit. Confess doesn't mean you admit. You know, you don't have to admit to God you did it. He knows. Confess is when you say, I agree. So if the Lord says, you know, you're getting to be a little uppity now. Uh, you know, or you're beginning to think you're better than other people. Then what I would do in that is say, well, Lord, you're absolutely right. Or, Lord, show me, I don't see it. 
Show me where. Help me to know. See, most of us are unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit actually dealing with us through the Scripture. We think, you know, we think he deals with preachers and missionaries. But, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And he uses the Scripture to show you, here's some places where you need to change in your life. And so you come to him and say, Lord, you're absolutely right. I confess. Or you can do what I have done. I'm sure none of y'all have, but I've argued with God before. I've said, well, no, that wasn't really what I meant, Lord. And he said, well, you know, trust me, you did. You know, so now, now I, don't mean to, I don't mean to suggest to you that I've got these little voices going on in my head all the time, you know. But, but I think the Holy Spirit prompts you and kind of shows you that this is something that you need, uh, need to get rid of. One of the places that it has happened for me here in Charleston, matter of fact, there was an article in the, uh, the uh, what's the name of the daily paper here? Post and Courier. There was, a, there was a, an article recently about uh, people are complaining about the number of panhandlers. Have, did any of y'all see that article? Was, yeah, the, the number of panhandlers in Charleston. And uh, they were going to Mayor Tecklenburg and talked to him about the number of panhandlers. In there. And I confess, there have been times when I've come up at a, you know, at a place to get on the highway, and there'll be a panhandler there saying, we'll work for food. And I will turn to my wife and I'll say, I bet that's a con man. I bet that's a crook. You know, and I mean, that's, that's just how, they, well, the truth is, I don't know, really, do I? I mean, you know, my experience may tell you that, that half of them are, but that doesn't mean that one is. And so that's the, that's the kind of thing where the Lord just kind of prompts me and says, well, wait a minute now. How would you like it if everybody judged you by the things that they saw you do and they didn't know your motives? You know, I was uh, filling in for, I worked for our denomination for about five years, a uh, long, long time ago, and I was preaching at uh, the church that was our, our home church, <clears throat> is across the street from Opryland called Two Rivers, and uh, I was preaching over there, and uh, I'd preached there and everything, it was, it was good, and uh, I had preached there several times, and I'm walking out, you know, kind of like walking down these aisles, except they had, you know, multiple aisles and everything. And, and I'm walking down the aisles, you know, and I saw this lady sitting over here. And I said, well, hey, how you doing? She said, oh, you're going to talk to me now, huh? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, you know very well what I'm talking about. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm, I'm a dumb guy. I don't know. She said, the last time you preached here, you walked right by me and didn't even speak to me. <laughs> and I said, is, is it possible? I said, humor me here. Is it possible I didn't see you? She said, no, I know you look right at me. You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's that kind of a thing. So this woman has been mad at me for three weeks <laughs> because I didn't speak to her. And the truth was, I didn't actually see her. So we, we kind of rush to judgment. And I think any time we rush to judgment anywhere... Particularly Facebook, newspapers, news. I think that's, that's, that's kind of a step towards that. Where, now, I'm not saying we don't need to actually judge right and wrong and be able to discern right and wrong. Of course we do. But there's, there's, a, there's a tendency we have sometimes to uh, elevate ourselves when we need more humility. Um, even preachers do. You know, y'all have been, uh, after the services, so many people have been so kind and come and said nice things to me. You know, well, we enjoyed the message. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm going, well, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it, pride jumps in 
It just does, you know. I mean, I've got to find a good biblical word for proud. You know, I have a grandson. Well, I have five grandchildren, but I have one of them, and I'm saying, I'm proud of you, buddy. He said, are we supposed to be proud, Papa? No, I don't know, buddy. Let me get another word. <clears throat> you know, so. I promise not to answer all of them that long. <laughs> but anybody else? Well, good. Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Tonight, what I want to talk about, and it's time to go. Um, tonight, what I want to talk about, uh, as we began last week, we looked at one of Paul's prayers. And we looked at the prayer of Paul that was in Ephesians chapter 1. Read several verses in there. And I shared with you that when you're wondering, what should I pray? Like, uh, for example, right now, I know Highland Park Baptist Church is in an, an interim, in transitional period right now. I know your last pastor left. I know that you're in the process of deciding, you know, uh, what are we going to do next? And so there's all those things. And sometimes there's that unsettledness in there where you're not really sure what's going on. I know that. And so, but now the truth is, I don't really know. I have no idea what you should do next. You understand what I'm saying? I don't. But now, so because I'm committed to pray for Highland Park Baptist Church, and because I'm committed to that and believe in that, and because you've invited me to be here during March, then I've got to pray every day during the week for Highland Park Baptist Church. And so because I'm unaware of what to, to pray specifically, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you know, a lot of our specific prayers come from our specific wants and desires rather than what God wants, you know, because the reality is this is God's church. You know, this church belongs to the Lord Jesus, and he can do with it whatever he wants to do with it, that, 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 because it's his. But so when I'm praying for the church, I want to know how to pray for you. So what I've been doing is praying the prayers of Paul for Highland Park Baptist Church. Let's read, and, I'm, and I've been using the scripture to guide the prayer. So what I'm praying is I am praying the scripture for Highland Park Baptist Church. And this is what it says. I'm reading from the ESV translation. It'll be on the uh, screens over there. Verse, uh, Paul's writing verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, in praying it for Highland Park Baptist Church, here is, here is how I have prayed it for uh, seven or eight days, well, actually longer than that. It is my prayer that the love of Highland Park Baptist Church may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that Highland Park Baptist Church may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that Highland Park Baptist Church may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And, and just, just so you'll know, I, I also uh, I have a ministry to, other pa to pastors. And uh, there, are, there are several... There's a, a lot of pastors that I work with. And on Saturday mornings, 
uh, after my time alone with the Lord, I pray for pastors. And so, like, if, if I were praying for Jason, here's what I would pray. It is my prayer that Jason's love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that Jason may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory. Do you see how that works? And when you're praying scripture, you know that you're praying the will of God. So you don't have to wonder, you know, it's like I told you last week, you know, whenever you're praying sometimes you wonder what should I pray for? I shared with you about praying for my dad, sometimes wanting him to stay, sometimes wanting him to go. You know, pray, and then sometimes you want to pray, Lord, I want a better job. You know, so I say, Lord, would you please get me a better job? And the Lord may say, no, I actually want you to be a missionary where you are. Or, or if you say, Lord, you know, I need more money. And God says, no, you need to take the Dave Ramsey course and need to, how to handle what you've got. Or, or Lord, uh, you wouldn't believe, I had a lady one time at uh, River Bluff came and asked me that she wanted me to pray with her. And I said, well, I'll be glad to. I said, let me get a piece of paper and write it down because I've been forgetful for a long time, so I need to write things down. And I said, what you want to pray for? She says, well, I'm trying to get a divorce from my husband. I want you to pray that it'll go through. <laughs> and I said, well, um, yeah, I, I don't agree with you. <laughs> and and I, I think Scripture would tell you to... To try to work. Now, I'll be glad to meet with both you and your husband. Or we actually have a counseling center at our at, at River Bluff. I, I'll be glad to refer you to the. I, I can't pray that. But I see. I knew rather clearly I shouldn't pray for that. I mean, that wasn't something to pray for, you know. And uh, but sometimes people say, "Would would you pray uh, like students? Would you pray that I get that scholarship?" Well, what if there's somebody more needy? So, so in those kind of prayers, what you're doing, you, you, you want to say, this is where Jesus' prayer, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I pray that prayer, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come and your will be done in Highland Park Baptist Church, just as it is in heaven. And may your, your kingdom come and your will be done in Kenny's life, just as it is in heaven. Or my grandchildren, or what are those? And so this is what Paul is, is praying here for the church at Philippi, which I think is applicable, that you can pray this for Highland Park Baptist Church. Now, I want to take just a few minutes to kind of uh, unpack that, what it talks about. He says the first prayer that he wants is that your love may abound more and more. And what he's talking about here is, you know, the command of Jesus. Do anybody remember when somebody came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment of all? Do you remember what it was? Some, anybody? And your neighbor as yourself. The verse that you have is your memory verse this week from Deuteronomy. That is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus added, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is from another passage in the scripture from Leviticus. And so what he's saying there is you, you love God with all you've got, and you love each other as you love yourself. And Paul is saying right here, it's my prayer that your love, now that word abound means exceedingly. It means it's, it's overflowing. God, and I mean, Paul is writing here, I, I hope that the love of the people called Highland Park Baptist Church, that their love for God and their love for each other and their love for people that are not yet part of their fellowship, 
that all of that love, not just that it'll get a little better, but that it will abound. You know what abound means, right? We're talking about overflowing more than, more than you need. And so Paul's praying at the church at Philippi that their love will increasingly grow over and over and over and over and over again. And this is not the only time that he prayed that because I wrote down some other places. Uh, Dick, can you find 1 Thessalonians 3.12? Throw that up there as soon as you find it. Dum, 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 dum. Okay, would y'all read that aloud with me, please? And may the Lord, I can't hear you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. See, so this is another place here. Paul has said in Philippians 1, he wants your love to abound. How about uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3? Ready to read again, please? We ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So you see, here, here are three different places. One, uh, one in Philippians, and t- one in 1 Thessalonians, one in 2, where Paul, Paul says, I'm praying for you that your love will increase. And because we go, every teaching of everybody goes through Jesus, we know that he's not just talking about love for one another, but love for the Lord God and love for people that are not yet part of your fellowship here. Love for the lost. You know, this, uh, this offering that you're doing for uh, Annie Armstrong, uh, the North American Mission Board, uh, you, you all have a, a great uh, offering, I think. Isn't it like 10K is, is the goal that you have here for this offering? You know, we are planting churches where there are no churches uh, in America right now. We have work going on. You wouldn't believe the amount of work. There are two things that are going on through the North American Mission Board. One is strengthening the churches that already exist, and the other is planting new churches. And it's not either or. We need both and. We need both of those things. And so every time, you, you know, when you give to an offering like, like, let's say, the Annie Armstrong offering, what you're actually doing is you're expressing your love in some action. You're expressing your love not only for the Lord God and for one another, but you're expressing your love for the lost. Now, I think I shared with you this morning. Well, I don't, re- I don't remember. I did two different messages this morning, so I don't remember everything. But in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, one of the most... Uh, provoking, if you will, passages that Jesus ever said when he's talking about the end times. It's Matthew 24, he's talking about the end times. Matthew 24, 12, here's what he says. And because wickedness has increased, the love of many will grow cold. And he's talking to us. And, and one of the things now that, Kurt's opinion, okay, this is my opinion. I, I think because we are seeing so much wickedness and evil in the culture that we're kind of withdrawing into ourselves a little bit more and we're not quite as active in our witness I think I shared with you that uh, the conference I attended recently they said that only four percent of the Southern Baptist regular attenders not the whole denomination but the regular only four percent have ever led somebody to Christ and that's kind of you know when you think about it 
uh, I just finished a, a little book by a fellow named Elton Trueblood. It was written in 1944, the year before World War II ended. And he was a theologian writing, and the name of the book is The Predicament of Modern Man. And he, he analyzed it because he's looking, what he's asking the question is, how did Hitler rise? How did that happen? And he, uh, the book is very explicit, but what he gets into it, he tells you, look, do you know what the basic problem is of human man? It's something called sin. It, it really is. You know, uh, one of the, uh, I think it was Carl Memminger, Memminger wrote the book, Whatever Became of Sin. You know, it's, it's basically the idea that there, there must be something going on other than this religious answer that it's sin. But sin is a problem that we have in our world. And the answer is really not a new president. It's not a new Congress. It's not an economic system. It's not the United Nations. It's not more education. Uh, it's, uh, it's to bring people to be saved, to know Jesus as Savior, and then to disciple them so that they learn to live like he would live if he were they. It, I mean, that's, that's not rocket science. But yet, we look out at, you know, it, we've got, what, 45,000 churches? Uh, Southern Baptist churches in America now. And, and we're not even hitting 400,000 of, of baptisms. You know, uh, it, it's just one of those things that... that uh, that I, I think when Paul's saying, I want your love to increase and abound, I, I would say, Highland Park, I want your love to increase and abound, not just for one another, because I, I think you really are doing a great job on that. And I know you're trying to love God, but there's a lot of lost people in Hanahan and in this community and in North Charleston that really need to hear about Jesus. They really do, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. So I, I would challenge you there in that particular area. But then he says, it's my prayer your love may abound more and more, but he says, with knowledge and all discernment. Now, the word discernment is where you, you know, um, you're able to discern between good and evil, uh, right and wrong. Um, what, is, what is the right way to go and what is the wrong way to go? As a matter of fact, when he goes on, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent I think the NIV translates that as bet, what is best. So what he's saying to us is that as our love for God deepens, as our love for one another grows, as our love for people that are not part of our family grows, all of those things happen, that God also wants our knowledge of him to, know, to grow, to know what is God like. I remember... I remember hearing uh, Oprah Winfrey one time saying that she was raised in a Baptist church uh, and that one day she heard a sermon where the guy quoted, a, or the pastor, quoted a text where it said that God was a jealous God. And she said, I'm not going to worship a jealous God. She said, if, if he's jealous, I don't want to, you know, that's what kind of God is jealous? Well, I, I, I want, you know, like Oprah cares what I think, you know, but, but I'm thinking, you know, the Bible tells us this is what God is like. Far, far too many of us, and um, I have to. Uh, one of the things happening among the millennials now is that they're actually really digging into Scripture to to take what we think about God and replace it with what does the Scripture tell us exactly about God? What is God like? You know, we have an idea of what God is like, and psychologists tell us that it's normally, you know, based on our our fathers. You know, that that, that that's a kind of whatever our father was like. We have a sort of thing like that, you know, and, uh, 
you know, that can only go so far. But then there's also what we're taught about God. You know, if you've ever been to a church that teaches you that when you're, uh, when you're acting good and trying to be morally straight, God likes you more than he does when you're not. That God's love is conditional based on your behavior. Now, we know that our behavior determines <laughs> the quality of our life. I mean, it's not that our behavior is irrelevant, but God's love doesn't ebb and flow with our behavior. Well, how do you know that? You know, you go to the Word, read the Word, this, the Scripture tells you, this is what God is like. And, and everywhere in there, He's showing us this is what God is like. My favorite parable is the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Because I, I, I look at the parable of the loving father. That's kind of how I look at it. I, that's, that's where my image of the father comes from. And so he's saying, look, I want you to be able to know what God is really like. And if you, if you wonder what is God really like, Jesus told Philip, I'm like the father. The father's like me. Jesus says, you want to know what God the father's like? Look at Jesus. You know, and you see him being patient and kind. You see him taking just merely religious people and saying, you guys don't have it. And coming over to people, coming to prostitutes and forgiving them, showing compassion to them and love. And all of those, all those kind of things that we see. Now that's what God is like. And Jesus says, I want you to know that. See, see I think what God is saying to us is that if Highland Park really deepens their love of God, their love of one another, and their love of other people, regardless of who they are, and if they increase in their knowledge of knowing what God really is like, what the scriptures say God is really like, I, th I think that's what he's praying for. And that's what I'm praying for, for you in this church, and so that you will have discernment to approve what is excellent. The word approve there is to test. It's like to know what is, what is best. Some of you business guys might have read a book years ago called Good to Great. Good to Great. How do you take a company from good to great? It's a great idea. See, many of our ideas are good, but they're not great. And see, the church of Jesus Christ has been called to excellence, not perfection. It's an impossible goal. But to excellence, that God says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, which means all the way. God is saying, I want you to be able to discern what is excellent or what is best. Now, this, this sounds like you might be talking about some moral thing or some theological teaching, but, but how, about, how about the person I, uh, this past week, a uh, young college, uh, well, a young a millennial, He's 20 or so, and uh, he just got a job at uh, one of these stores that sells the almost cigarettes. What do they call those? Vapors, yeah, vapors, yeah. Uh, and, and he's doing that, and I said, well, how's it going? He said, well, I won't quit. I said, well, good. I didn't want you in there anyway. I said, I said what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. And he's 20, and I said, well, well what are your dreams? What would you like to be? I don't know. You know, I, I just want a job, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking, well, you know, have you ever had a, a dream of maybe a vision of, of being something or doing something? No. Well, would you like me to give you one? I, you know, I know some. You know? 
And there was, there was that, that kind of, of thinking. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, going from good to great, that's not good to great. That's going from uh-uh to, to nothing, almost practically in there. The church of Jesus Christ, Kurt's opinion, is not called to get by. We're not just called to get by. We are the only force on earth that has been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples and take on hell. We're the only force on earth that is currently engaged in spiritual warfare against the forces of evil. And many of us don't even know there's a war going on. You know, as, as long as we can keep doing what we're doing, long nobody bothers us. But see, there's a war going on. And that's why the, uh, Paul is writing here. He says, look, I want you to be able to discern what, not just what is right and wrong, but what is, what is good and what is best, what is excellent and what is just get by. And he's saying, I want you to, and now how do you know that? Because you know God. You know to God what is good and what is great, what is best. You know the teachings of God. You know Jesus teaching all of that. So you're not only able to know what God considers excellent, you're able to make those decisions. See, life is a series of decisions that you're going to make. You make decisions and you will choose to either do this or to do this. And you've got to have some filter to run every decision through. And what he's saying here in this scripture is it's the word of God, the truth of God, who God is. All of the teachings of Jesus, running it through there, trying to find out to discern what is best. And then he prays, finally, he says that you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. He reminds us, Jesus is coming again. You know, many of us, you know, have figured that maybe Jesus has postponed it for a while. You know, and and he may have. I, I don't pretend to know when Jesus is coming, but I know he is coming. I know this. And, and, and whether it, the signs of the times say it's going to be tomorrow, I, I think we, what we ought to do is we live as if Jesus is coming tomorrow. You know, live as if he was resurrected yesterday. You know, and that today you're his servant waiting on the day for him to return. Jesus is coming again. And one of the things that we have to grasp is that while you're saved individually, when you are brought into the body of Christ, the body has accountability to the Lord Jesus. If you don't believe it, read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where Jesus addresses the churches. The churches. Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and all of those. So what he's saying to us is that live as if Jesus is coming tomorrow. Be a church as if Jesus is coming tomorrow. Well, I'll stop right there. That's all I got. Well, it's not really true. You know, I could talk all night. You know that. Do you have any questions? Besides who wrote Hebrews? I can't do that one. Yeah. Yes, sir. I didn't hear what you said. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, yeah, I, I totally agree. That's what they call a colloquialism to communicate. <laughs> Which fell short. <laughs> you know. Well, well, absolutely. And just Kurt's opinion again. I think, I think family relations, you know, you said, if, if I can't do it in my family, you know, I'm, I personally think it's harder to do 
in your family uh, than somewhere else. Uh, particularly, particularly if, if your family, see, if, if all of your family's walking with Jesus and they all go to church and everybody and, and all that kind of stuff, that's, you, you just go to uh, Matthew 18 or Matthew 5. You go to them and you talk about it and you work it out. But if the whole family is either not walking with God or walking in different ways or sees your understanding is different, it's very hard to reconcile there. But see, I, I think what we have to do is uh, I use when I'm doing what I call witnessing. I use what I call the person of peace principle. You know, when Jesus sent out the 70 and he said, go out and look for a person of peace. Remember that? And he said, and, and if, if he uh, invites you in, stay there with him and do all that. Yeah, I, th- I think that what, uh, that what we have to look for in sharing our faith is, is this person a person of peace to me? Like, like there are... Uh, my brother, right after I got saved as an adult with a couple of kids, and I walked around with a 10-pound King James Bible beating everybody over the head trying to get them all saved, you know. And I ran my brother off, you know. I mean, he didn't want to have anything to do with me until about 20 years later, you know, because, uh, well, there are a lot of reasons. But anyway, so he didn't. But see, what I had to do was I had to uh, take him where he is and try to learn how to be a person of peace for him so that when the Holy Spirit... See, the work of witnessing is the work of the Holy Spirit before it's our work. If the, Jesus said, unless the Holy Spirit draws you, no man can come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So if the Holy Spirit is at work in that person, they will, you wouldn't believe the number of people that have called me that said, you know, I came to your church 20 years ago and I didn't like you at all. But the other day, I heard this guy on, uh, preaching, and I thought about you. So I think I'm supposed to talk to you. And then uh, and I've, I've led people to Christ that way. Because what, what we do, see, I, I think uh, this is going to reveal my biases, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I don't want to affect anybody. But the guy that stands on the street corner yelling, I, I know they think they're doing what God wants them to do. But I, I really believe that you need to develop a relationship with people to try to be able to win the right to be heard and to be able to share the gospel with them and uh, to be one of those who reconciles them with God. And sometimes we need to reconcile with one another. Um, which Great point. I, I know I didn't answer all of that, but uh, Matthew 18 and Matthew 5 both say, I don't know whether you've ever read about this, because I think Joe was probably talking about 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ministers of reconciliation. Matthew 18 and Matthew 5, these are, <laughs> these are powerful verses. You may not want me to tell you this one. Uh, well, look at it. Uh, uh, Dick, hey, brother. How you doing up there? <laughs> Matthew 18, I want to go down to um, try 15. when the preacher is guessing and read this aloud with me you ready and we're going to do 16 too if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother do the next one but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses and now go one more if he refuses to listen to them all, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
All right, now, go back, go back to the very first one there, Dick, if you don't mind. I, y'all, I really appreciate this, man. He and Mark up there are flipping through, doing stuff. You know, all I got to do is say, hey, how about a verse? You know. <laughs> if your bro- Look at this first part here. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay? Now, um, Dick... Matthew 5, try 12. (laughs) I hadn't memorized the Bible yet. No, that won't do it. 22. 22, Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. Well, I feel like a fool. That's not the verse I wanted. Uh, go, to, go to number 23. It didn't say I couldn't call myself. Okay. You know what the word, Greek word is for fool? Anybody know? Moros. What word do we get from that? Moron. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you're looking at one up here. Um, here you go. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, next verse, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, do you know who said these two verses? I'm talking about the Matthew 5 and the Matthew 8. The Matthew 18 is. You know, if, if, uh, if you're, what is, is your brother's done something to you, and this one is if you've done something to your brother, but both of them say, you go first. And how does it say to go? Alone. And that's Jesus. Now, I know we probably say, well, you know, Jesus really didn't know how relationships work. <laughs> you know, if you say something out loud and it sounds stupid, it probably is. Jesus said, go alone. When I'm doing premarital counseling, I will tell the wife or the husband, if you have an argument, you talk to the husband or the wife first before you call your mama or before you tell your guys at the plant. And now somebody say, oh, that's such a good idea. I said, I didn't think of that. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Do you see the reconciliation process there? Because I will tell you, most of us, when we have an offense, either we've been offended or we've offended someone else, we normally talk to two or three other people having what I call hallway conversations. We have those long before we ever try to reconcile. And what we're really doing is we're trying to gather support. You know, that's why, you know, whenever you get mad with somebody and you, you want to, you know, you want them to say them sorry, you know, go talk to the Hell's Angels or something. Get them to go with you. That's a joke. I don't mean that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so th- this issue of reconciliation. See, I don't think we practice it in the church. I think we, either we don't go to the person that we have a problem with, or we do. There's something else we do that I've I've found this to be really a problem, particularly in marriages. Is that we do what I call stuffing it. You know what I mean when I say stuffing it? That it. Yeah, we, yeah. We try to act like it never happened. Now, how does that work? You know, like, what is it Dr. Phil used to say? So how's that working for you? It doesn't work. It really doesn't. So reconciliation. Okay, one more question, and then we're going to quit, because it's almost 930. 
Any, anyone more? Okay, you've been good people. I appreciate you being here tonight and letting me ramble on. And uh, let me pray for you, and then y'all go away. <laughs> go away to me. Uh, I'm going home to supper. I don't know. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these wonderful people here who, whose hearts are tuned in to hear from you. Lord, I can tell. And I know that you love them because you've, you've allowed them uh, to serve you in this church for so many years. And God, I know that they're, they're far from done, that their best years are in front of them in terms of kingdom service. So I, I pray, Lord, that you will use the, the, the feeble attempts that I make, at, uh, especially on Sunday nights, and that you would use those to somehow dovetail with what you're doing, to be in sync with what you're doing. In all of these, pray now, Lord Jesus, for the, the blessings on this church, that they will be what you want them to be. It is my prayer that the love of Highland Park Baptist Church may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that they may approve whatever is excellent, and so they may be pure and blameless for the day when you return, Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God, I do pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go home.